This Kendra is where they make their mark. This is the time where you've got to turn the table. You've got to take advantage and ride this wave in this momentum. Look out! Hello there and welcome to our match preview podcast. Callum Williams, as always, alongside former golfer soccer star Kindra D. St. Aubin. Lots coming your way. We'll hear from the Houston Dynamo manager, Tab Ramos, a little later on. First, though, Kindra D. St. Aubin, plenty to sink the teeth into in terms of Major League Soccer and Minnesota United. Let's start with the last game for the Loons, shall we? Um, it's safe to say the better team won on the evening. Kansas City victorious over the Loons by one goal to nil. Johnny Russell with a decisive strike. But there were plenty of positives to take from a Minnesotan point of view? Well, I think for Minnesota United in that match, um, we didn't really know what we were going to get because you're going on the road. You've got this tight schedule, this quick turnaround. You've played Kansas City already twice. Um, Adrian Heath was trying to switch up the lineup, trying to change things up, give some guys some rest, a ton of guys injured. So you're kind of going on the road with a hope and a prayer and clearly a game plan, but you don't know how it's going to turn out. You don't know what's going to come to fruition on the pitch. And I think that's kind of been the case for almost every single team in MLS this season. But Adrian Heath threw out a different formation, a different lineup. They held firm. The first five or six minutes was like this crazy fast and furious. And I don't know what Adrian said to the group, but I'm guessing it was something like, let's go out, guns a-blazing for the first five, six, seven minutes, see if you can get something from it, which they almost did, and then you could kind of get the first goal and weather the storm for the rest of the match. But instead, that didn't happen, so they kind of retreated back a little bit in a more defensive shape in the system that Adrian Heath and, and company put out there, and they did. They weathered a storm. I mean, it was a barrage by Kansas City. They were out, you know, numbered in every stat on, on the board, but um, nonetheless, they still almost pulled it off. I mean, it took a late Johnny Russell goal at the edge of the back line in an onside position. Give mm. credit where credit is due now that we've seen the the still shot that he wasn't an onside position to get the late goal and, and to get the game winner. So, um, you know, I don't know that Adrian Heath is going to be or, you know, was really disappointed in the result because knowing the situation with the injuries, with the schedule, with the quick turnaround, going on the road, um, you know, it's just it's just a crazy situation right now in 2020. And I do think there are some positives to take from it in the sense that some more guys got some minutes. Um, I think Marlon Harrison grew into the game. I mean, right back is in his natural position, but he's proven again that he can play there if needed when short staffed. They did weather the storm in the middle of the park without Ozzy Alonso once again. And Ja'Cory Hayes, who took a knock early in the match, and I never thought he looked the same after that. He didn't move the same to me. Um, that was not confirmed by anybody, you know, on the on the staff, but I'm just sort of guessing he didn't look quite the same as the game went on. So hopefully he's healthy and fit and ready to go this weekend. But they, they, uh, they created some chances going forward, not enough, and we'll see what happens this weekend now that they've had seven or eight days to get healthy and go back and play Houston again. One of the major positives that came from that game, Kindra, was the emerging partnership of Michael Boxall and Baki Dibassi, the Mali international Dibassi, making his full MLS debut, his first start for Minnesota United, and looked like a very smart acquisition for the Loons. He did, and you know what? I think um, he he's everything so far that we thought he was going to be. He's athletic, he's smart, he's reading the game, he can play left back, he can play left center back. We saw him slide in and out in a couple different formations that Adrian was playing, whether it was 
you know, a three, five, two, a five, three, two, however we want to label that formation. And then, and then when they brought in some of the attacking pieces like Kevin and Reynoso and Robin later in the match, changing the back line and the shape they were in, he really just kind of flawlessly slid from side to side, covered as a second defender, stepped when he needed to step. Um, I thought he was, it's only one game, but he made a good transition into this league, which not everybody makes and um, has to deal with some attacking pieces that are very talented, that can cut inside Johnny Russell and Jerzo Fernandez, whoever it is, switching back and forth. So I think that he impressed me. And more importantly, I think has proven to me once again that Michael Boxall has really done everything that's been asked of him every year he's been here, but in particular this year when he's had a constant rotating cast of the center back partnership. When you come into the season expecting the 2019 defender of the year to be alongside you and he is only for the first two matches and then now you're kind of alternating Jose Aja, Debasi, whoever it might be. Not only that, but we're rotating goalkeepers behind him constantly. So I think that Michael Boxall has kind of proved his weight in gold this this season in the flexibility and the durability and uh, just being able to be willing to partner with anybody alongside him and work with him. Yeah, Michael Boxall, as it stands, the uh, only Minnesota player to play every single minute of the regular season so far. And he has been fabulous and he's uh, perhaps best identified as Mr. Consistent. Um, but Baki Dibassi, let's go back to him um, briefly, shall we, Kendra? A left-footed centre-back. How does that help this side from a, a balance point of view? Well, actually, I noticed it a couple times in the match, whether it was when Chase Gasper pushed up or he was out of position and, and Debassi is sliding over and filling that void. There's just a naturalness about it that when that when the ball is coming down the right flank for the opposition or coming through the middle or all of a sudden someone like a Johnny Russell cuts inside and they win the ball back, it's natural for him to then find the outlet to the left-hand side of him, whether it's Chase Gasper, whoever is playing in the left-hand side of the midfield in that formation. There is no extra touch to get it on the appropriate foot to play the ball that you want to play. So I think there is just a um, – it's an efficiency aspect almost on the back line that you're not having to take that extra touch, take that extra positioning, move your hips around to get around the ball, to play the ball that you want in the, in the spot that you want to play it. So having two left-footed players on the left side of the defense is going to be a massive addition for Minnesota United and just kind of cut down on the touches on the time when you're trying to build out and you're trying to get that first pass out of transition and you win the ball back. It's just going to come more naturally on that left-hand side, the left flank, to get the outlet to find the center center midfielder or the, the left center mid. So I think it's going to be a, a good thing and a massive luxury for Minnesota. Or maybe even pings that ball across, but it's on his left foot, and he pings a diagonal ball to switch the fields if somebody else is making a run on the right-hand side, if it's Robin or whoever. So I think it's um, – you just don't find him a lot. You don't find a lot of naturally left-footed backs, center backs, and I think it's it's a good a good signing for Minnesota United and hopefully we'll, we'll put it to use. No doubt Adrian Heath had his hand forced in the sense that there were as many as eight players unavailable for him. And it's arguable to say, at the very least, five or six of those players would be in the starting eleven on a regular basis and would have contributed down in Kansas City. But he went for a, a new formation, as you mentioned, and there were various different iterations of it that we saw throughout the, particularly the, the opening 45 minutes. Why did we think that was the approach that the coaching staff went with, particularly away at Kansas City? Well, I think it's one of those things that you're never going to say, like, hey, if, if you're not going to just 
give away a game. You're not going to ever say like, hey, we're going on the road to Kansas City in a tough schedule and a tight schedule with all these injuries. We're just going to chalk this one up to if we win, great. If we don't, no big deal. You're never going to say that publicly. But I think that there's got to be a certain mentality. You're trying to savor yourself. You're trying to position yourself for the entirety of the season. And you're understanding that you are going on the road in a tough place to play against a really good team in Sporting Kansas City with all these injuries, knowing the quick turnaround that you've you've had to deal with. I think there is just an element of planning. There is an element of you know, looking at the full schedule and the full slate and just trying to pick and choose your moments of where you're going to try to get the points and where you're going to try to weather the storm. And if you come away with one, you know, great. It's been historically in MLS that if you can get the draws on the road, that's that's a bonus. Well, now you're doing that. You're trying to get the draws on the road if you're lucky with a depleted roster, with all these injuries, and with the tight turnaround and the craziness of 2020. So I think Adrian Heath and his staff are just trying to pick and choose their moments and be smart about how they're using the cast of characters that they have available and that depth depth being tested. That this is just something that Adrian Heath said, let's try this, let's see how it works, let's weather the storm on the road. And um, you know, if we can get a goal in transition or if we can create something early in that first five or six minutes, but hold firm defensively, that's what we're going to do. And I mean, how many teams have we seen on these Wednesday games, these midweek games playing these, you know, making seven changes in their starting rotations? It's not unusual that we're seeing that. It's happening a lot. Yeah, it's a strange time to say the least. And um, I I. I I'm assuming Minnesota United will will have a, a different look about them when they head to Houston as well uh, this coming weekend, which we'll get to in the next segment, by the way. Uh, whilst we have the chance, let's talk transfers, shall we? Um, the window is still open, open for another four to five weeks, to our knowledge. Atlanta United seem to have found what they are describing as a replacement for Pitti Martinez. Uh, Marcelo Moreno comes in from Lanús, uh, one of the bigger teams in Argentina, not quite River Plate or Boca Juniors level, but nevertheless a, a big club that has produced some very good Major League Soccer players in the past. Um, first of all, Kendra, do we think that, I mean, look, it's difficult because we've not seen him play at this level yet, and, and there's all sorts going on at Atlanta United. They're still yet to even appoint a permanent head coach. But as a player coming into the situation... What do we expect from him realistically now? With Because uh, we don't even know how long this season's going to be as well. <laughs> We're still yet to see what phase three looks like, even if there's going to be a phase four. As I said, there's still no permanent head coach. How much realistically, at least short term, can we expect from a player like this? I'd be curious to know what they told him to get him to come here. I mean, I get the dollar amount is always nice, but if you're a player of that caliber, the, what they're touting that he is, and you're expecting him to come and make an impact, I, I would just be curious what the expectations are when you don't have a permanent head coach, when the system is kind of in flux, when you're not sure what's going on in Atlanta, when they have a negative goal differential, which I don't think we ever see with Atlanta United. They're hovering above the playoff line. Um, so, you know, I'd be curious to see what the expectations were from his side. What is he expecting of the club? I mean, yes, they want him to come in, make a mark, create goals, score goals, be an attacking presence, fill the void of a Pity Martinez, or, I mean, nobody can fill Joseph Martinez's shoes, but we get the idea, you know, of can, can he be a Miguel Almarone? Can he be, I mean, Barco's been a disappointment by all 
by all accounts. I mean, there's just so many question marks with this team. You almost feel for anybody who comes in at this point in the season of a 2020 when you've just released a head coach that or parted ways with the head coach that didn't fit the system in the first place. You have an interim. Nobody really knows how they want to play. They just got crushed by Nashville, who hasn't crushed anybody this season and can't score any goals. So I don't know. I mean, my expectations, I mean, just by his quality and where he's come from and how they're pitching him is that he should contribute. But I feel for anybody that's coming into 2020, let alone that's coming into 2020 in Atlanta United with so many unknowns and so many things up in the air and frustration kind of abounding that, uh, I don't know. Is is it really a fair shake for him when he comes in? I mean, that's my question is when he comes into this team at this time in this position, is it really a fair judgment of him? I don't expect him to come in and be a savior to be the hero, but can he come and kind of help score goals and help on the attack and connect the pieces and maybe light a fire under some of their other guys that are so talented, but they can't seem to get it together? Maybe but I think it's kind of an unfair year to assess somebody who's coming into that situation. And also perhaps slightly unfair as well that he, at least for some time, to our knowledge, won't have the opportunity to play um, just behind Joseph Martinez. So it, hear me out on this, Kendra, and this, um, feel free to, to disagree if you if you will. I think Pity Martinez was incredibly unfortunate in Major League Soccer. And, and look, there's, there's no doubt about it. He was disappointing during his time here. But he hardly had a chance to kick a ball with Joseph Martinez. And now for the first time, perhaps, we are really starting to see and understand how much Joseph Martinez means to Atlanta United. One of the reasons for me why Miguel Almiron was so good here was because of the amount of space he had around him. and and the Because if you look at a lot of his goals in Major League Soccer, a lot of it was secondary runs towards the edge of the box and, and, and nipping in, uh, making secondary runs and late runs. Um, and a lot of that was because of the distraction that Joseph Martinez um, was was giving to the opposing players and opposing team. Um, I wonder if a fit and able Joseph Martinez was ahead of Pity Martinez. Would Pity Martinez have had more space to manoeuvre? Would he perhaps have had more opportunities, if not in front of goal, at least from the edge of the penalty area to, at the very least, provide something? 100%. I mean, any time you take away a the league's leading scorer, you know, quite possibly MVP, but didn't win the MVP in 2019 out of your lineup. It is going to change the way opponents play you. So yes, you, you take a player like that off the pitch and all of a sudden everybody else can focus on someone else. I mean, it's, it's even similar to what we've said now with adding Reynoso to the piece is that Reynoso effect in the sense that he attracts so much attention, whether he's on the ball or not on the ball, that he's creating an opening up space for those alongside of him. That is what Joseph Martinez did. He could stretch the back line. He could attract two or three defenders. That opens up the space. And there's how many runs did Al Marone go gallivanting for 30 yards at a full sprint with the ball at his foot? Mm-hmm. And no one would step till he practically got to the edge of the 18 because they didn't want to leave Joseph Martinez. Yes. So who, happens, had, who had pressed them all the way back Exactly. As well. Exactly. Like on the edge of the 18, if not inside of it, you know? So there's a massive change without Joseph Martinez, but at the same time, when you have a player that's the level of a Pity Martinez, Martinez, you know, South American player of the year, did it at the highest levels, and he still should be able to make an imprint on the game. He should be able to dictate the game to a certain degree. He should be able to control what's going to happen offensively and kind of take the game over. And then when you do still have a player like Barco, 
and you do still have other talented players alongside of you. Nobody's Joseph Martinez. Totally understand that. But when you are Pity Martinez and you've paid that kind of money and you've had that kind of reputation, you should be able to have more of a mark on the game than he had. But yes, would it have changed? Is it unfair because he didn't play as much with Joseph as we would have liked to see him in that combination? But also, I'm not sure how much different it would have been with you're still under Frank DeBoer. Mm. You know what I mean? I think we needed to see Joseph Martinez and Pity Martinez with Tata Martino or whoever it is that they bring in that, you know, is more in the realm of the South American players and the styles that they've brought in. So there's a lot of things there that you could say, what if, but I think people thought the same thing with LAFC when Carlos Vela went down and then all of a sudden other guys stepped up and took over in Orlando in MLS's back tournament. So they missed him, but they didn't. You could also sometimes play differently when the best player on the field is not on there because maybe you step up and you're not uh, deferring to the best player on the field. Pity Martinez transferring to Al Nasser in the Middle East, by the way, for those uh, who have missed that, and Atlanta United making a $4 million profit. So at the end of the day, you have to credit them and say, OK, it might not have worked out, but you've still made a pretty penny. In terms of coming in to Major League Soccer, talking of pretty pennies being spent as well, um, $8.8 million a year for Gonzalo Higuain at Inter Miami. It makes him the highest paid player ever in the world of Major League Soccer, Kendra. Um, what does that potentially due to into Miami and, and how much pressure does that put on the Argentine forward? I actually think it puts a massive amount of pressure on him and on the club that they got this decision right. I mean, he's going to have to be one of those players for that price tag that is literally game changing game in and game out. He it's, it's got to have the effect, not just on the pitch, but in the ticket sales, in the marketing, in every aspect for Miami. It's got to be like a Wayne Rooney effect at DC United, where you are literally putting everything on this guy's shoulders to make the difference. And I, I mean, I love, I love watching him as a player. I think he still has the ability to do that, to be exciting, to, um, to find the goal, to make his teammates better. And if anything, it's just going to bring a spark to that club that is much needed right now because they've been waiting and waiting and waiting for all these big signings that were supposed to be coming during the offseason and into Miami and it's Miami and everybody wants to come to Miami and um, it's David Beckham, new stadium, you know, all this kind of stuff. But I think that for that price tag and he's got a, you know, a heavy name to carry along with it, it should carry the weight for Inter Miami. And that's going to be a lot of pressure. And he's going to need to stay healthy to play as many games as possible and have that same kind of effect, effect, not just on the pitch, but I think with the club from a marketing ticket sales, all in combined effect on that club to really kind of raise the bar. I think we might have said it on this podcast or, or another. Honestly, I don't even know what day it is at the moment. But I think a lot of it depends on, us, on, on, on him as an individual as well and him understanding yes. the situation he's coming into. Because at the end of the day, it is still an expansion team. Mm-hmm. The one thing they don't do at the moment is possess the ball well. And if you think about the teams he's played on in the past... Juventus, Real Madrid, Chelsea, AC Milan, they all possess the ball very, very well, particularly in, in Italy as well. Um, he has to understand that won't be the case here. And he's only going to get a couple of chances. Now, the counter-argument is, is that if Higuain gets three chances, he's more than likely going to put at least one of them away. But patience will be so key for him. I think it's, it's accepting the fact that maybe every player that you're surrounded by isn't the caliber of the players that you have just been playing with. 
maybe you could equate it to even something like Nani when he came over with Orlando City and had to go through some of his frustrations. I mean, how long has he been here now? A couple years? Two, three, yeah, two, two and a half years. Two yeah. and a half years. And just now, Orlando City under Oscar Pereira is finally starting to really click. But, I mean, could you imagine the frustration with some of the players that he has played with where you're surrounded? I mean, every player you're surrounded by at a Manchester United or wherever it might be is top-notch from around the world. And now you're trying to sort of go to this new project and piece together these new things and find a new system. And that's what Miami is. It's an expansion team. They've made a couple signings. They're still trying to find their way. And you can't just buy anybody you want at any time like you can with these other clubs and in other leagues. So yes, he's going to have to weather the storm, you know, kind of fight the good fight, deal with the frustrations and make his teammates better. I think it's going to a lot depend on his personality. What kind of personality does he have? Is it the kind that is willing to teach and learn and work with the, the pieces around him? Or is it the kind where, you know, you're throwing your hands up every time a pass isn't made correctly or you don't get the ball when you want it or where you want it? I think that's going to make a big difference on how the team feeds off of him and he feeds off the team. Let's go from one side of the country to the other, shall we? And go to San Jose where things are a little more positive after two draws uh, against the Galaxy and Portland Timbers. But this was, Kendra after coming off of perhaps the worst night in club history, a 7-1 thumping, courtesy of Seattle Sounders. Let me ask you this. We went to San Jose just before coronavirus hit the world and, and hit the United States. And whilst doing the prep and talking to, talking to people, we were, well, at least I was quite surprised that there was only one addition um, to what seemed like a fairly comfortable setup in San Jose. So I understand it from that point of view. But I think as we've looked at them through this year, it seems to me like it's gotten awfully stale and they are in need of freshening things up a little bit. After that 7-1 thumping against Seattle Sounders, Matias Almeida didn't even make any changes at half time. I got the feeling as though it was very limited for him. Do we now expects things to change a little bit in San Jose, not only from a personnel point of view, but maybe even Matias Almeida has to start thinking, right, we perhaps have to adapt and, and adopt certain things in certain situations and certain approaches. You know, you would think that, but he's also very married to the way he plays. Um, I don't know why he didn't make changes at halftime in Seattle. I mean, I don't know how you don't. If you're just like, hey, you guys created this mess, you get <laughs> yourself out of it. And it could have been much worse than 7-1, to one, to be honest. And the only goal they got was a penalty by Wando. Um, and then they get the 0-0 draw, so you're thinking, but he totally changed the system in the 0-0 draw against LA right, Galaxy. Right. He changed the formation. He changed where... Now, let's remember, Magnus Eriksson is also gone now, and he was kind of a, a key piece in the in the middle of the puzzle for San Jose this season, where he was playing centrally. He was kind of always there next to Jackson Ewell, maybe Judson's in the mix, you know, and the same kind of a cast of characters on the outside, on the wings. But I think that um, he changed the formation against LA Galaxy. He changed the starting personnel but then last night uh wednesday night he changed the formation and the starting personnel again which i'm thinking why would you change your starting personnel when you just come off a zero zero draw against the galaxy and what worked and so i'm not sure that he knows exactly how he wants to play right now he knows how he wants to play but he doesn't know he, who he wants to put there nick lima didn't get a second on the pitch last night as far as i'm concerned as far as i remember seeing and I don't know if he's injured or took a knock or if he's just not on the right side of Matias Almeida right now. It's hard to say. So I think that there needs to be some changes. They should have maybe made some changes in the offseason, but it even took the last year for Matias to understand that you can't just go and buy anybody you want at any time. This is not 
League MX. This is not other leagues around the world where you can just throw money at anybody and get anybody at any time. That is not the way MLS and, and salaries work. And I think he's still kind of sorting through that. And he's going to have to get past these aging veteran former teammates players that he's, you know, kind of brought on from other clubs and try to reevaluate and readjust. But I also don't know how much money he's given to play with. I have no idea what the ownership's thought is. I have no idea what Fiorinelli is thinking. Um, I just think there's a lot of unknowns on the inside of that San Jose roster and locker room right now, which is kind of shocking because when we talked to Tommy Thompson at the beginning of the season, they were the most cohesive they'd ever been. That is the one thing you could count on is that they are all on the same page at all times. And I'll tell you right now in Seattle, they definitely did not look on the same page that they were fighting for each other, fighting for their coach, running through a wall for anybody on that San Jose roster. They had given up after goal number two. And there's there's a lot to change because even though they got two good results in the last two matches, they still didn't finish their chances. They still didn't look particularly good. And it just seems, uh, uh, you know, still a little discombobulated, a little disconnected right now. And I wouldn't be shocked if they – who are they going to get in this transfer window? I haven't even heard any rumors. We watch these transfer trackers, these rumors. I mean, I haven't even seen any, like, rumors out there about what San Jose might be looking at. It'd be interesting. I've heard one or two, but um, they are You're the internal. Adam Schefter of MLS, so. <laughs> they, they are the um, uh, American players who, uh, who I think, um, I, I was surprised when I heard that they were linked with them. Uh, it, it suggests that there's change at San Jose forthcoming, <laughs> but they don't strike me as Matias Almeida signings. So we'll wait and see. Maybe Fiorinelli is saying, right, let me handle this recruiting because oh, right now... that's worked well before. Well, yes. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see, won't we? Anyway, uh, we'll concentrate on Houston Dynamo next on the Match Preview Podcast as myself and Kinjali St. Alvin are joined by the head coach of the Dynamo, Tom Well, teams will maybe sideline right now. Team Spirit is going strong. The line of health in Minnesota United has teamed up to support the frontline caregivers and a line of health. Williams here alongside Kindra D. St. Orbin talking all about Houston Dynamo. So with that in mind, we're joined by the perfect guest, the manager of Houston Dynamo, Tab Ramos joins us. Tab, thank you very, very much for joining us. Really appreciate your time. We know 2020 is very bizarre and you're very busy at the moment. So talk us through what 2020 has been like for you. It's not a normal first year as a head coach in Major League Soccer, but it must have been very exciting yet very challenging. Yeah, uh, thank you for having me on. Uh, so you're saying this is not normal then? I thought it was always <laughs> like this. No, it's my first year. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, it's been obviously an unusual year for everyone. So everyone starts from zero this year because I don't think any, obviously no coach has had to live through this. Um, but I do feel like if anything, you know, I, I was a little bit, uh, I would say maybe well-prepared because, you know, when you work with national teams, you see your players for a little while and then they go away and then you don't see them for a couple months and then they come back and then you try to start over again. Uh, and this is sort of the year that, that we've all had, um, you know, where we haven't had a lot of continuous work uh, and it's been difficult, but I've, I've enjoyed it. I've taken advantage of uh, um, getting to know my players better. Uh, so it's given me, you know, for a first year coach, it has given me an opportunity to grow relationships specifically with the players um, because it's given me more time. And so um, I, I think it's worked out okay. Tab, talk us through the 
the process of getting the head coaching job and being named the head coach in Houston in October was what was your reason for transitioning to MLS from the U20 national team? What was your desire there to make that, that change? Well, I, I mean, it, it, it definitely is a good question because I, I really enjoyed coaching the U20s. I just felt like, you know, after my first cycle at the U20 national team, you know, I took over the team in 2011 when it had not qualified to the U20 World Cup. So, you know, the the first goal was sort of getting the team to the to qualify. So we did that in my first cycle, went to the World Cup. Um, the second cycle, I felt like, okay, so now that I've gotten my feet wet, let's see how I can improve as a coach. You know, what can I do better? Obviously, as a coach, you're always learning. So, you know. Um, the, the second cycle, you know, we, we did well, we qualified to the world cup and not only that, now we, we were quarterfinalists at the world cup. Um, I renewed my contract at the time with us soccer, uh, for a longer period of time. And then we went to the third, my third cycle with the, with the team at that point, you know, we had never been champions of CONCACAF in the history of us soccer. And I, I really didn't understand why I felt like, you know, of course, Mexico is a great rival. Of course, Honduras and Costa Rica have great teams. Panama does as well at times. Uh, but I felt like we should be competing to be champions, not to just settle for qualifying to a World Cup. And and we started pushing the envelope a little bit more. And we became champions of CONCACAF in that third cycle and and, and also went to the quarterfinals of the World Cup. And then, you, did to, you know, to sort of, uh, you know, end the, the whole thing, we, I went into my fourth cycle and I felt like that was an important one because now I had to prove that we could be champions again and that, that we can continue this winning tradition now. Now it becomes a tradition and we did it again. We won the championship and we went to the quarterfinals of the World Cup for the third straight time. Um, but I truly felt like it was time for me to, to go do something else. I mean, obviously we didn't become world champions, so I guess you could say, you know, to a certain extent maybe – not all the goals were achieved because you want to be the best of the best of the best. But um, I, I felt like we had achieved a lot and it was time for me to move on to something different and, and a different challenge. And, and I decided to start listening to MLS and, and talking to people. Tab, how does that mentality and that winning culture that you had at the U20s transition to the, the senior national team? How do we get there? Well, I, you know, um, when you look, for example, at what's going to be our next Olympic team, um, you know, next year. Uh, so you have the, the 97 borns and the 99 borns, and obviously everything in between and one year after, of course, because there's some younger players. But you have, you have a period of about four or five years of players who are known to be the only thing they know now is that they're CONCACAF champions. So that's already a good starting point, considering that the last two Olympic teams have not even qualified to the World Cup. So they haven't placed in the top two teams that they haven't even made it to the final of CONCACAF. So I think we have a good group of players who are used to being champions now. And that's important. A group of players also who are used to competing and beating some of the great powers of the world. Uh, so we've made it to the last three quarterfinals of the World Cup. So to make it to the final eight in a country that I believe we still talent-wise, are likely not in the top 15 or 20 in the world, I think it's good achievements. And I think, you know, that, that, that confidence level, I think, will take us far. And uh, we have, obviously, as everyone in the country knows, we have a lot of talent in the younger age groups. That's why we won. It wasn't, you know, obviously, it's not tactics. 
you know, that the reason you win, you win because you have good players, but now you have good players who have the confidence to compete against any team, knowing that they can beat any team in the world. And I think that's a good starting point. So Tab, when you came to Houston, then what kind of a transition was that like for you to be coaching these youngsters all this time to now coaching, you know, players that are much older in their career, more established coming from other countries. What kind of transition was that like for you as a coach? And what was your first conversation like with, with the group after you got the job? Yeah. I'm, um, at first, I think what would help me uh, a ton, obviously, besides my playing experience, which is something obviously that we all, all coaches who have played, I, I think at a higher level can draw upon those experiences and they're important. Um, but I think uh, having been Jurgen Klinsmann's assistant coach for about a period of about four or five years helped me a lot with the senior national team players, because I was there with the elite of the elite in the U S and I was having you know, uh, sort of personal conversations, whether it was with Michael Bradley or Ethan Finley or, or whoever it was, uh, I was having those conversations. I was doing video with them. I was doing um, a lot of things um, a little bit of a different way than I would with obviously U20 national team because it's a lot more of a give and take when you talk to older players than it is when you talk to younger players who are just, you know, willing at all times to just hear whatever you have to say. So it was, that helped me a lot. Um, and then obviously it, it becomes trial and error. Like anybody getting any new job, you have to learn and you have to learn on, you know, on the job. Uh, one thing that where I didn't want to waver was the fact that I, I know that I, I spoke to the players of the Houston Dynamo and, and my main and first presentation to them, I, I, you know, I made it known to them that our goal is in the end to win the championship. Um, I feel like, Maybe I didn't push the envelope enough on the youth national teams to start from the beginning, um, sort of putting forward that championship culture. Um, and, and I felt like I needed to do that from the beginning. And I think if you ask any of the players here, I think the first thing they saw from me uh, was actually a picture of the MLS trophy because at the end, that's where we want to be. And I'm sorry for making the, the, the answer too long, but, but, you know, this is sort of, you know, the, the, the presentation has to end with, it has to start with where, where are you going? And, and I think it's clear where we're going, although we may be going about it different than other teams. As, as everyone knows, we're not the highest budget team for sure. Uh, maybe, you know, winning the, 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 the shield is the supporter shield is not something that we can necessarily aspire to. Um, but we can aspire to making the playoffs. And when we make the playoffs, I think it's anybody's ball game and why not ours? Tab, you can talk and tell us MLS stories all day long, mate. No problem at all. We'll listen. Let me ask you about uh, a player that you added in the offseason, a player we're very familiar with here in Minnesota and Darwin Quintero. What immediately attracted you to him and how pleased are you with what he's done so far this campaign? Well, I mean, I think we wanted to take a chance on Darwin because he's special. He's different than all the other players. And... You know, it's all well and good when you, you know, when you're you're bringing to your team great athletes who can run, who can cross a ball, who can take a shot, who can defend, and who can do all of those things, you know, well. Um, but in the end, what you get with Darwin is you get some things that he doesn't do well, and then you get some things that he does great. Um, and so I wanted to focus on the great and how we could take advantage of the great because there's actually not many players that can do the great. And, uh, and so that's really, that was really the beginning of it. We took a little bit of a chance on him. 
I think Darwin is doing really well. He's working very hard for us. Um, I, I know the things that Darwin can do, uh, and I'm just helping him along to see how much of it, you know, he can help us with. But in the end, it's up to Darwin, and Darwin is happy, uh, and uh, and he's playing well. So, you know, we're, we're happy with him. When you look at the roster, um, some of the players that you were given when you took over the job and some of the additions that you've made or you, players that you've slotted in, who has been the most pleasant surprise for you or maybe, you know, just put a stamp on this game in this 2020 season that you maybe weren't expecting from the group? Well, I mean, I, I think two guys that for me are standing out from the rest in terms of being big surprises and players with, I think, very good upside down the road. Um, I have to look at Memo Rodriguez and, and Matias Vera. You know, they're two players that are, you know, 24, 25 years old um, who have made a big difference for us, who are hard workers but good players, um, you know, players that make the team better in every way. Um, I, I would say those guys, because it, it, it hasn't surprised me as much that Darwin Seren, for example, has had a great season so far that, Minor Figueroa, for example, has had a great season and not so much of a surprise to me. Um, but I think those two guys in the middle have been. And moving moving Memo from an outside position to playing inside, I think has helped his game a lot. Tab, what about the opponents coming your way next then? Minnesota United, what do you make of them and how do you get the better of them? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I love what Adrian, what Adrian is doing in Minnesota. You know, I really I really love the team that he's been able to assemble and put together. Um, you know, I've always been a fan of Molino uh, for years and what he can do and what he can create. Um, I think adding Reynoso to that team, you know, makes the team so much more dangerous because he can, he can pick you apart. Uh, and then Mason Toy is a young player that I've known for a long time. I know Maria's been hurt. Uh, but Mason is a perfectly capable player, um, capable of, of hurting teams with speed, with power, in the air, on the ground. He's a hard worker, so he brings all those qualities. And then, and then to that, you add Ethan Finley when he's obviously, uh, I believe he's still not healthy now, but you know he's a quality, quality right-sided player. I would put him with the best in the league. Um, and then Metzenier on the right side, you know, I, I'm a big fan of attacking outside backs and, and, and he's one of the best. So I think, you know, obviously there's other players, you know, we can go on to whether it's Gregus or Alonso or all the other players that, that, that he was able to assemble. Um, but I think this is a very good team. I think the Minnesota team is, is certainly uh, one that should be aspiring to, to, to winning everything. Speaking of attacking outside players, maybe not outside backs, but other attacking outside players, a lot has been made about the move um, or the pending move of Albert Elise. How do you replace him if, if he does officially, officially make the move? I don't know if that's been official yet, but he's a big attacking piece for you. How do you, how do you replace what he does for you guys offensively? Well, I mean, it's, it's not official yet, uh, the move, but it's, it's a likely move. Uh, and if that, you know, if that happens, obviously, then, um, you, you don't replace Albert, you know, you just, you find a different player. Uh, Albert is one of those rare athletes, um, who can go, you know, zero to 60 in one step. And, uh, and, and that's difficult to replace. There's, there's just not many players like him. Now we'll replace them in a different way. We'll, you know, we'll find a different player that has other strengths. Um, but I don't think you can necessarily replace Albert the least. Well, Tom Ramos, uh, really appreciate your time. Thank you very much for joining us. 
Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. Wonderful. That is the head coach of Houston Dynamo, Tab Ramos, joining us on the Match Preview podcast. And uh, some interesting things, no doubt about it. Um, I was quite intrigued with the uh, initial attraction to, to Darwin Quintero because it didn't sound too dissimilar to what was said here, Kendra. You know, and I think maybe the biggest takeaway from when he was talking about Darwin Quintero, and I heard Tab talking in a, a different interview, I think it was just media availability one day, saying that they have sort of not conceded, that's not the right word, but they've accepted what Darwin Quintero is. And you accept his greatness, his moments of greatness, in knowing that you're going to get some moments of not so good. And you try to cater and work around that and work with Darwin on it. So I think that they're in those early stages of that, of Tab trying to figure out how do we – how do we keep Darwin happy and make him happy? But he's also going to contribute to the group in a certain way and bring a certain level on both sides of the ball at times to make it work for everybody. And I think that um, Tab said it perfectly, and I think that is very much what Minnesota United felt when Darwin first came here as well. And it's just a matter of kind of moving the pieces to the puzzle around and making it work for everybody, accepting. And he said they took a chance on Darwin. I mean, he's getting older. And you know that, you know, you know the great comes with the bad and you got to kind of try to find the balance in between and right now they're getting a lot of great Darwin Quintero and he's doing a lot of great things on the ball and you know and he's creating and he's scoring and he's you know maybe defending a little bit here and there but for the most part they understand what they're going to get from him and they're willing to kind of concede other parts of his game maybe the lack of defense the lack of discipline defensively positionally to allow him to do what he does to be on the attack and get forward and create. He mentioned the centre midfielders, Matias Vera and Memo Rodriguez, in the little interview just then. Is the centre of the Dynamo midfield an area that's perhaps underappreciated, Kindra? Because Darwin Seren, at least from what I've seen, is perhaps playing the best football of his career right now. Well, and he sounded not surprised by Darwin Seren's ability at 30 years old, that he's been able to step into the midfield and do, like, th this is what he expected of them. But I do, I agree with you. I think that because so much talk has been made about Albert Elise and then Darwin Quintero, adding Darwin Quintero, and then even Christian Ramirez up top sort of starting to find a little bit of form, I think that the midfield might be underappreciated the way they control the tempo of the game, the way they do find the space on the wings, the way that they allow Darwin Quintero to float in and out and, and deal with that, whatever that might be, whether they're creating the space for him or being available for him for a give and go. So I think that, um, It'll be fun to see, again, the Houston midfield this weekend against Minnesota United and paying more attention to Matias Vera, to Mamo Rodriguez, to Darwin Seren, and what they're doing on and around the ball after talking to Tab and him really pointing out that those are a couple of players that he's really excited about. So ahead of them, you mentioned Albert Elise, we're expecting won't be available. So our knowledge is in Portugal undergoing a medical and will complete a move to Boa Vista over the next 24 hours or so. So who do they replace him with from, in terms of what they have available to them now? Well, and I think that's what's interesting is he said flat out like they, that you will not replace Albert Elise. We've seen Nico Hansen out there quite yes. a few times, and, and he has seemed to step in and fill that void. And, um, and I think it makes a difference on who's alongside Nico Hansen and who, how they want to play in the attack. What is the game looking like? Are they at home? Are they on the road? Are they, you know, what kind of shape are they taking going forward? But I thought Nico Hansen has really stepped in quite nicely in that position. And then they've added Lassiter, which, you know, he looked really good against Minnesota United last time. Now, granted, he was playing with Elise. But I think that those are um, 
some combining creative pieces going forward. And Nico Hansen has stepped up to the task of, again, not a like for like replacement. He's not Albert Elise. We all understand that. And like Tab said, there is no other Albert Elise out there, but they will find a way to play and someone to play that position. And I think they've already had to do that quite a bit this season because of injuries to Albert Elise and maybe just knowing that this impending move was, was on the horizon. Mauro Minotas is yes. back amongst the goals for Houston Dynamo, unsurprisingly, really. And as you mentioned, Aurel Lassiter has been added as well. I think he's probably better through the centre, mm-hmm. but he certainly can play in, um, let's say, in inverted commas, a wide position because they're more inverted wingers, aren't they? Particularly when a player like him plays alongside the front three and, and in the front three. Um, what does that mean for our old friend Christian Ramirez moving forward? Well, it kind of feels like Christian, after leaving Minnesota United and even towards the tail end of his career here with the MLS club of Minnesota United, has found himself constantly in a position of being second choice from a striker position. And it's just another one of those things. And and hopefully, and it seems as though Christian Ramirez has become up to the task. I don't know if he was as excited about that prospect here in Minnesota because he was the man on top. He was always cream of the crop, NASL. As the team went to MLS, he scored some goals. But as other players were brought in, he kind of got pushed down the pecking order. But then he goes to LAFC, which is just absolutely loaded with attacking pieces. And he got pushed into that position again, fighting, clawing for every minute that you're going to get. You're coming off the bench, and you better make your mark when you come off the bench. Then he goes to Houston. Same thing. Didn't get a ton of minutes last year when he first went to Houston, scored a couple goals, comes back in 2020. Then he wasn't in MLS's back the whole time because his wife had given birth to their second child, so he had left the bubble. And now getting back into the fold again with the club, you can see a little bit of familiarity there, I think, with Darwin Quintero when he plays on top and Darwin is underneath, that there's an understanding there. But Christian Ramirez, I think, now in his career is going to be in those one of those positions with the high-paid attacking players that are brought in now as designated players, as TAM players from overseas, from around the world. He's going to constantly be in a battle to prove that he is the starting man, that it is his job to lose. And when he's on the pitch, he's going to have to score goals. He's going to have to finish his chances, whether he's creating them himself or whether he's finishing a ball or a you know, a cherry picking opportunity out in front of goal, whatever it is, he got to put himself in the right spot at the right time and finish to prove that he belongs on the pitch all the time. Cause the way the attacking players, the money they're paying for these guys now to come from other places, it's a tough task. Question is now, Kendra, what do Minnesota United do to counteract Houston Dynamo? They've already received um, a, a fairly decent thumping, it's safe to say, at BBVA Stadium this season. What will they have learned from from that game and, and take into this game here on the, over the weekend? Well, I hope that they remember that game and, and hopefully Adrian reshows the tape of that game this week as they've had seven or so days now to prep for this match. They're familiar with the opponent in the sense of the actual roster itself. And I think that I think that honestly more of that Houston game was maybe just not coming ready to play and Houston was hungry. They were they were coming off a sport in Kansas City. They were coming off where they were just firing on all cylinders. They were trying to get that win at home. They were trying to make it back-to-back. Tab had just gotten his first MLS win. They finally felt like they were feeling their groove. They were connecting. They added some pieces to the puzzle with Lassiter, who clearly, you know, put his stamp on the game. I think that this Minnesota United team is going to have to Remember what they did or didn't do well against Houston, but at the same time, we don't even know who's available. Mm. I mean, this is going to be a different Minnesota United team 
likely that we see against Houston than we did last time against Houston based on the injuries that we're currently dealing with. And when we have the call with Adrian Heath and the media availability and find out the scoop on what everybody is dealing with and who's available and who's not, you'd like to think that you're going to have a healthy, fresh Emmanuel Reynoso, a healthy, fresh Kevin Molino, a healthy, fresh Robin Lud. We only saw Emmanuel Reynoso for a handful of minutes in that game. That was his first time stepping on the field. You could see his quality in that 10 or so minutes that he played in the combination play and, and already connecting. So what can he do now that they've had a full week of training with that group, with that three sitting behind the attacking piece and try to go at this aging, somewhat aging back line that can be had, I think, for Houston Dynamo if Kiki Struna gets a start, if Minor Figueroa is out there. I mean, those are serviceable, solid backs, but they can, I think they can be worked around. You can you can get behind that back line and score some goals. So I don't know. I just I think Adrian once again is gonna have to work his magic tactically, roster wise, substitution wise, rotating the players, finding out who's healthy, who can go at least sixty minutes, and kind of start going from there. But I would assume he's going to go back to his original formation. I would expect to see a 4-2-3-1 if everyone's healthy. And you get on the front foot early because you owe Houston something after that performance last time. You would assume then, with what you've said there, and from our understanding in terms of who's available, that once again you would go with Mason Toy up front. Well, yeah, I mean, I think he's the only one available. So, I mean, and that's, that's not a shot at Mason Toy. You just heard Tab Ramos speak highly of him. He's capable of it. Can he get the confidence? Can he get the mojo back that we know that Mason Toy is capable of? Can he get that um, and, and get going on the, on the game from the first kick? But, yes, if, assuming all pieces are what we think they are, Mason Toy would be up top. And he does have the ability to get in behind if he can make the right runs at the right time in the right spots and let Kevin and Robin and Emmanuel Reynoso do the work underneath and just make sure that you are available, you're in the right spot, you stay on side, and when you get your chance, you finish it. And goodness gracious, make the near post run. Otherwise, Adrian Heath might have your head. <laughs> Yes, he will. And, uh, of course, you can join us as we give you full match coverage of Houston Dynamo against Minnesota United. 6.30 p.m. we go live for the Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Minnesota pregame show. Fox Sports North Plus, of course, for those of you uh, unavailable to get to a television, you can listen to the game on Score North as well. But for all of us here, thank you very much for listening. We'll see you over the weekend as Minnesota United head to Houston Dynamo.